Hello there, and welcome to the Psychology Report. Today I would like to address uh, a number of different issues, all under the general theme of your behavior patterns can be altered by doing small little things in your life and uh, living your life in a uh, more healthy pattern. So I'm going to take a look at just a couple uh, research studies that have been done and uh, give you a little bit of a hint that you can affect your, your mental health, you can affect your emotions, you can affect your sleep, you can, affect your, you can affect your cognitive abilities on into old age by just doing a certain number of things that are relatively small and insignificant, but very important. For instance, a study that was uh, recently published found that women who were 65 years of age and older, who drank more than the average amount of coffee, had a much lower chance, or a smaller chance, of having dementia as they increased in age. <clears throat> in other words, the average person drinks about two to three cups of coffee a day. But for women who are 65 years of age and older, their cognitive abilities maintain themselves and did not decline if they drank more than two to three cups of coffee per day. Now, that was in the women who were 65 years of age and older. That study was based upon 6,500 women and um, was published in the Journal of Gerontology. <clears throat> now, let me go to a different study, <clears throat> and we'll see the theme here kind of unfold. You know, all of us at times give speeches, and we give public addresses, and we give a little public announcements of various kinds, sometimes at church, at the school where kids go, you know, or some club that we're part of, or whatever it might be. We give a little speech, or we give a little statement in public. <clears throat> we have to stand in front of people and say something. And what do you do beforehand? Well, most people say, just relax, just relax, just relax. And with our kids, when they have to give a speech at school or whatever, and they get a little nervous, and we say to our kids, just relax, just relax, just relax. Relax and you'll be okay. Well, you know, the research study here, which is conducted at Harvard University, with about 150 people, found that was not necessarily true. So what they did was they asked half the people who were going to give a speech to calm down, and the other half, they made them say statements to themselves such as, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited to do, to do this, to give this speech, I'm excited. And then they looked at those people after they gave a speech as to their level of effectiveness and how calm they actually experienced themselves to be and how much anxiety they experienced while giving that particular speech. And contrary to popular opinion, the people that did the best were the ones that said to themselves, I'm excited, I'm excited. And the one that did the least well were the ones that said, I am calm, I am calm. And that was measured by how much anxiety they actually experienced during the speech. So sometimes it isn't what appears to be the right thing to do, but what is the right thing to do according to the research that was done, in this case, the University of Harvard.
So the next time you give a speech, or the next time you're coaching somebody who is going to give a speech, just let them be excited. Tell them, yes, be excited. It's okay. You're all right. And assure them that being excited is fine, and they'll do well. You don't have to kind of suppress their excitement or suppress their anxiety or suppress their feelings of uh, arousal by using statements such as, I am calm. You don't have to do that. You can let that anxiety just float a little bit. Over the years, anxiety has always been found to be this. A little bit of anxiety is good. A lot of anxiety is not good. Okay, then another research study, you know, was done at the University of Alabama. Let's go down to Alabama now. And they looked at sleep patterns with people who had difficulty sleeping. You know, and all kinds of suggestions were made, obviously, to help people sleep. We all do that. We all have our little piece of advice to help people sleep. But in this case, what they found was that the people who maintained a scheduled, uh, a daily schedule that was consistent from day to day to day, before they went to bed, slept better than those people that had erratic kind of scheduling throughout the day and particularly before they went to bed. In other words, what needs to be consistent is dinner time, anything they do at night, the work schedule, what they do around the house each day, you know, how they live their life every day need to be on schedule, need to be routine. But particularly as you move into the uh, later, uh, later hours of the evening before bed, make sure that routine is maintained. Your pre-bed routine, your pre-sleep routine. The more that you introduce a routine pattern, the better sleep was experienced. Now, here's another study that was kind of an interesting one that um, relates to anxiety and uh, our health. And this one was done at the University of Pittsburgh. And what they found is that people with higher levels of anxiety had a 33% chance, higher chance, increased chance of having a stroke than those with low anxiety. In other words, people with high anxiety were more likely to smoke and to be physically inactive and to um, engage in unhealthy behavior and more likely, therefore, to have a stroke. So anxiety contributed to the onset of strokes with people in the ages of 25 to 75, but particularly higher levels of anxiety contributed to increased levels of um, anxiety-related behavior, such as smoking and inactive physical activity. So obviously to increase your chances of stroke, to decrease your chances, to decrease your chances of a stroke, control your anxiety, get your anxiety down, make sure that your activity level is high, that you maintain a, a schedule of, of uh, exercise, not smoke, do not smoke, or stop smoking. All those factors contribute to a stroke experience, and you want to make sure that you do not have a stroke as you enter into your later years of life. Decrease your anxiety, decrease smoking, eliminate it altogether, preferably, and engage in physical activity.
such as exercise plan. Okay, that was another research study. Now, here's another one, which is a very interesting one. This is done at Hopkins University. And uh, they studied about 3,500 people in their areas of controlling anxiety and depression. Now, ordinarily, most people say, well, you're going to control your anxiety and depression by taking a pill. And they send you to a doctor who gives you some medication. I mean, that's routine. But uh, it may not be in your best interest. It may not be even helpful. Because some people don't get benefit from a pill. And in fact, sometimes they get addicted to that and take other pills. And before you know it, they're into a whole variety of pill-taking behavior. But in these 3,500 people, what they did is divide them into two groups. And they had one group trained in yoga relaxation exercises. In other words, just how to relax your body, do some deep breathing, meditate on just your sensations and your level of relaxation, meditate on your breathing, and just feel at peace, feel calm throughout your body. And those are the people that experience less anxiety and less depression over a long period of time thereafter. The ones that just took a medication or did not do any kind of relaxation exercise continue to have a high degree of anxiety and depression for years thereafter. So a daily meditation may be as much relief in your, in your feelings of anxiety and depression than taking an antidepressant medication which is now, now that's a better choice of the two alternatives. So relax, reduce your anxiety, and uh, stay off the pills, stay off the pills. Do a meditation, do a relaxation, do a yoga first, and see how that goes, okay? Now at the University of Exeter, this is in England, an interesting study was done in which they compared people who moved into the city half of which moved into an, a city area where there were parks and green areas and gardens. And they compared that group of people to those that moved into the city but in an urban area but did not have parks and did not have the availability of grass areas and gardens, but just kind of basically lived in an apartment complex and among bricks and mortar. And what they found here in this study was that those people that moved into an area of a city where there were parks and there were green areas had a much lower rate of mental illness, a much lower rate of depression, a much lower rate of anxiety, a much lower rate of, of worry than people who moved into an urban area but did not have greens, did not have green grass, did not have gardens, and just stayed within the concrete system of the city. So, having open space, having greens, having gardens, taking advantage of that, running, walking, sitting, relaxing, in that kind of green area, found that it had an immediate improvement in the mental health of those people and this maintained itself for years thereafter. So it was a good thing, a very good thing. Now, one other study that is very important to take a look at. And they, in this study, 
they selected people who were in the ages of 65 and 94. And this was a uh, research study at the New England Research Institute. And what they did with these people is that they gave them a uh, series of cognitive exercises to engage in daily for a period of 10 hours over a six weeks period of time. So over six weeks, 10 hours of cognitive ability, such as playing cards, doing crossword puzzles, doing math games, word games of various kinds, um, mental gaming of various kinds. And what they found was that the people who engaged in these kind of cognitive exercises and stretched their brains and and um, challenged themselves mentally and cognitively, 10 years later, still were functioning well and had a much less likely of a chance to develop dementia than a similar group of people who did not engage in cognitive, mental games and challenges through card playing and crossword puzzles and so on. So the evidence is pretty strong that uh, 10 years later, so it's pretty permanent, your cognitive strengths maintain themselves. If you expose yourself to a regular mental activity, a mental challenge, if you will, now we know that that same kind of thing has happens to people who maintain a high degree of exercise, that they also have stronger brains and maintain a stronger brain for a longer period of time as they grow older. So cognitive stretching, cognitive challenges, cognitive demands, you know, cognitive game playing, uh, competitiveness, uh, great thing for older people to engage in, such as in a nursing home or in a skilled nursing facility or in a club or a community or a church. It's not just a matter of getting people together to eat and have social activity. That's what a lot of churches do. But you should add to that a cognitive challenge of some kind. So they're challenged in memory. They're challenged in learning new material. They're challenged in learning something new and maintaining the memory of it. They're challenged in solving a problem. Okay? So when you get people together, particularly as they get older, the tendency is to eat and talk and just socialize. But take that to a higher level and challenge them in some kind of a mental activity. It will pay off for years to come. And you have a much less chance of having dementia if you live a life of challenge and your brain is being challenged, your mind is being challenged, your thinking is being challenged, your learning is being challenged, your memory is being challenged. So go for it. Well, anyway, this has been the Psychology Report. These are come some things that you might want to adopt and just kind of work on in your own life. And I focus on a lot of activity today and a lot of ways that older people can improve their chances as they, as they grow older to not have dementia. Uh, but to maintain a good, positive, healthy mind and learning capability and memory system. So make sure you engage in these kind of activities, okay? And you're going to drink some coffee. Drink about four cups a day. That's okay. Two in the morning, maybe two in the afternoon. May not be bad.
If you want to do five, it's not so bad either. So um, learn from these little research studies that have been done and the summary that I've given you now today. Now, before I hang up today on you and uh, go my way and you go yours, I just want to call your attention to the community in which you live. Is there a rescue mission for people who are homeless, people who are helpless, people who are on the streets, and a place for them to go? Do you have a rescue mission? Here in Fresno, we have it called the Fresno, the Fresno Rescue Mission. And people can live there for a short period of time. They can stay overnight, have meals. They can have some social activity. They can have some learning, learn a career, learn a skill, help get some employment help. Uh, there's a lot of things that they can benefit from by just being part of the Fresno Rescue Mission. And you have that in your community as well. Almost every community has, or in a nearby community, has a rescue mission for homeless and helpless people disabled people. And if that's the case, find out about it. Learn a little bit about that rescue mission. But send them some bucks. They thrive on money that's donated to them. They depend on money that's donated to them. So send them 50 bucks every once in a while. That would be very helpful to uh, a rescue mission. So they have money to support themselves and run the program that they run and reach out to the people of the community that are otherwise pretty helpless and hopeless and destitute, and basically are out of it, okay? So go to your rescue mission, wherever that happens to be. Well, nice to have you with me today. Don't forget my website, booksbyhedberg.com. And you know I do a television program every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock on centralvalleytalk.com, centralvalleytalk.com, 10 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. That's West Coast time. So make the adjustments to where you live and tune in. I'll be glad to have you join me. Okay. Bye for now.